listening to Totally Pro League. This is hockey. Oh, that's a fantastic finish. There's a deflection shot. Beats the keeper. Play waved on. There's the shot. Goes goal for Welcome to Totally Pro League, it's episode 11, Pro League just keeps rolling on and on, and uh, in what's been a bit of a festival of hockey, it's a pleasure to have Keely Dunn join me this week to talk through all the action in the Pro League, maybe a little bit beyond as well. Keely, welcome. Hey John, nice to be back. I, I wasn't expecting the call so soon, but I guess I guess that's what happens when you are the person who's always available. It's like, hey, I'm here. Well, I figured, who do I know that's just kicking back and putting their feet up and uh, watching hockey at the moment? And you've certainly been watching plenty of it. I certainly have been, although I do it even if I'm not recuperating from a total knee replacement. But But yes, I've been particularly, you know on the ball with watching the game, so it's all good. Look, we had a, a break last weekend with um, the pro, as far as the Pro League concerned, but there was a, filled up with Euro hockey that time, some great hockey action there, and of course, uh, over the last few days, of the Pro League's been on, we've had the Hockey Series Finals happening, and there's been some fantastic hockey there as well, so <laughs> there's been a lot going on. The Pro League action kicked off uh, what is now last Wednesday, the 24th of April, and we're at Hockey Park in Mugungladbach. Oh, I always <laughs> I get that so wrong. I'm looking forward to hearing you say that. Oh, okay, I'll go with that one. Uh, we got underway <laughs> at um, at uh, 7:30 p.m. And it was a game between Germany and Great Britain, the women's side of the game, and uh, it was a well. It was a pretty controlled performance from Germany. They uh, halftime at the scores tied at nil all, but you never got the feeling that Great Britain were necessarily that threatening. Uh, the Germans picked up a goal in each of the last two quarters to run out two nil winners there. Both of those goals, courtesy of number six Hannah Gablack. And um, well, yeah, I'd, controlled was the way I'd describe that game, Keely. Yeah, I I think GB just wasn't. Um they just weren't really in the spirit of that game, and it was it was a tough one because that was the one that was really delayed for rain, wasn't it? Yes. Or am I getting that mixed up? Yes. So it, it was really tough because it was a Wednesday night. They had to delay for the storms. Um, I'm pretty sure a lot of fans went home because it was super <laughs> deserted in the stands, and I mean, it was a topic of conversation on social media. Where are all the people? Some of them were up in the top of the stands underneath the roof. Um, but that was about all that were there. So it was a really sterile atmosphere. And I think that kind of threw the players off a little bit. Obviously not Germany as much as, as GB uh, were thrown off. But yeah, they just, they just weren't able to put everything together. And, and when I look through the lineup, um, there were players that were in that game that didn't get reinserted later in the week. And, and I think those players were Unfortunately, I think they were passengers in that game that just didn't really help the the cause out. So it was a good adjustment later on, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Well, we've, previous co-hosts have talked about the idea that um, Great Britain is very much a, a team in development. Um, a lot of players who are missing from that gold medal team, and they probably just lack... If I look through the, the list, they've got some fairly 
very good players in there, but I don't see anybody, if you were to pick a World Eleven today, would be mm-hmm. an absolute dead set start. Whereas I think they probably yeah. had, uh, they probably had a couple at least during that, that gold medal winning period. Um, yeah. but they, they, they've still got I, some very good players to work around. I, I think what's happening now is that it, it takes time. And just like I, I, we talked about when I was on, on the show a couple of weeks ago with Olivia Mary, when you lose top players like, you know, GB slash England are now facing a future without Alex Danson. I think realistically, they know uh, that devastating concussion injury yep. for Alex is, you know, it could be the end of her career. And it certainly means that she's going to be away for, you know, a very extended period of time if she does come back. And it means that other players are going to have to step up, losing Sophie Bray. Um, th- those are two of the most uh, exciting and game-dominating strikers that they've had over the last, you know, you know, cycle, and they have to find new people to step up. So I think Hannah Martin and Lily Owsley particularly are going to get into that role, and and Sarah Evans as well is, is actually starting to really push through. But it takes time to develop that sort of game dominance leadership, and I, I think the GB system in particular doesn't really afford a lot of opportunities for players to experiment in those roles and, and really extend themselves, whereas in other countries they develop those people, like the Argentinian women seem to, you know, they, they've got those uh, talismanic people just ready to step up, like just, you know, put the hole in the lineup and they'll step in and boom, they'll start taking over games. So um, I think it's just going to be a longer process and when they talk about building for Tokyo, I think they're actually building for the next Olympics, to be fair. Now, the next couple couple of games uh, came up on the 25th of April. It was Australia, New Zealand. 25th of April is a big day here in both Australia and New Zealand. It's Anzac Day. It's our big uh, commemoration of uh, our War Veterans Day. Lots of parades yeah. and, and those sorts of things. And um, it's interesting to note the uh, Anzac Day is based on the Gallipoli landings uh, in, in Turkey in 1915 in the, in the First War. And uh, it was a complete an absolute failure, and um, it's no surprise we may we may have that a day of victory for us here at Australia. In fact, it was probably the most successful with, withdrawal or retreat in uh, military history. Um, it was a big day for us, so I think the FIH did a really great job in listening to the local um, associations and saying, no, we need to have games on the 25th between Australia and New Zealand, and hopefully in the future it remains a fixture of the um, Pro League calendar that Australia and New Zealand in either country play each other because I think it, they're the sorts of things that help start tradition within the league as well. Mm-hmm. That's um, a good point. Yeah. But on to the games themselves. And they, they did pay honour to the veterans and uh, those who've lost their lives in past conflicts and everybody else who's affected by stupid things like humans killing each other in such useless ways. But let's... Stick with the hockey, shall we, Keely? Um, <laughs> Duly noted. Yeah. Australia and New Zealand, um, both men and women, we got underway at uh, 2.30pm with the women's game. And uh, it was a victory to Australia and probably not a victory many were expecting. 5-1 was the final score. Australia took a 1-0 lead into the quarter-time break. Uh, both teams scored in the second quarter to leave Australia leading 2-1 at half-time. 
Uh, another goal to Australia at the in, during the third quarter, a 3-1 lead and uh, two goals in the last quarter to uh, finally run out winners 5-1 there. Many people thought that um, New Zealand might have a bit too much up front, but the Australians learned from their last match against New Zealand and they actually played someone on Olivia Merry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, surprising, hey? When okay. you take the leading scorer in the world in the pro league and you actually mark her. Yeah, <laughs> she was unfortunately quite invisible. And maybe this is one of the first big challenges for her to realize that, hey, I'm now, uh, I'm now the, the go-to person and they're, they're going to be out for me. They're, I'm going to be somebody they key on offensively and, and shut me down. So, yeah, it was it was a little tough to see, you know, that she didn't get the ball very much and and wasn't able to generate the quality opportunities that we've seen her do so in the last several matches. Very often, when you see a player who's in Olivia's position as being, you know, suddenly in a great vein of form, and then people crunch down, and I think everybody talks about what's Olivia going to do, what can she do, what are her teammates going to do. I mean, if, Precisely. You, if you keep throwing the ball at Olivia, they're just going to keep chopping it down. If the other forwards aren't creating the opportunities for those players to pass to and those players aren't looking up for those opportunities, then you're going to get the same result that you're getting at the moment. And yep. until those players lift and become threats themselves, those defenders will automatically be going to her and keeping the eye on her because they know where it's going to go. Yeah. All that said, though, what was interesting about this game is that statistically, New Zealand was dominant. Uh, in shots and circle entries and penalty corners, they had more offense. It just didn't seem to be particularly threatening. But at the same time, I, Ashley Wells and Rachel Lynch were, you know, as a tandem, they had a fantastic game. And I think they really were the story uh, that, that helped make the rest of the Aussie girls look that good. And Rachel Lynch would have to be the best goalie in the world, wouldn't she? she yes, she, I would definitely put her up there. Yeah. She just... Um, you can't say no one, she doesn't make mistakes, because all goalies make mistakes. We all do. But um, the simple thing she does so well. I mean, yeah. just brilliant keeper. And I think I made the comment on social media. I'd go and watch... I'd pay just to watch her playing goals. Unfortunately, that means um, to get my money's worth, Australia are going to have to play really badly in defence. So I'm sort of caught up between a rock and a hard place there. Anyway. Well, maybe maybe you had that with that New Zealand game because that was that was an awful lot of uh, an awful lot of uh, opportunities. Maybe not super yeah. quality, but there, there was a lot of play in there, and they they made the difference. And particularly Lynch, yeah. Then uh, we moved on to the uh, the second game for the Anzac Day celebration for Australia and New Zealand, the men's game. And, uh, well, this was a, a far harder-fought tussle, it must be said, although at, at no stage did you ever get the feeling that Australia was threatened until about the last five minutes of the game. Uh, they mm-hmm. led 2-0 at the end of the first period. New Zealand gained a goal in the um, the second quarter. To, uh, to lead the score 2-1 in Australia's favour at half-time. Uh, Australia and New Zealand both scored in the third quarter to lead the scoreline at 3-2, and uh, both scored again in the last quarter. So the scoreline ran out 4-3 in the end, but um, there was just almost an inevitability about it from, from quarter time on. Yeah. I, it, it's been interesting watching um, the, the Black Six men playing because... 
I they have a, such a distinct style. It's very um, athletic, I guess. It's just like straight at you. We are going to be, you know, we're we're going to come through you. But it's very individualistic, and I think that's why they struggle against. I mean, right now they're playing teams that are basically all ranked above them. So in order to to break through, they have to be more creative. They have to have a, a more clever system. And that just isn't how they're playing right now. They're, they're, they're fundamentally strong. Their skills are strong. They're very fast. They're very athletic, but they're just, they just kind of go through you. And all the goals that they scored in that game were very individual. It was just, you know, basically one guy making the exception like that, that Panchia goal. Yeah. Uh, he was completely alone in the circle and just absolutely executed fantastic, but you're not seeing the, the, the team goals that, I think you need to be able to score against other teams that are equally as athletic, you know, and and have have good defensive structures. So I, I think that's what's letting them down. But again, they're you know they they are they are getting better, and it was nice to see them have a bit more of a competitive game against the Aussies because the other one wasn't very good at all. Then we get on to the uh, Friday game, 26th of April. It's Germany versus the Netherlands, a women's game. Uh, played at 6.15 local time at Hockey Park in the German town that you pronounce much better than I do, Keely. I'm sure I get munching glad blacks wrong as well, and I just stumbled over it. But I blame the drugs, so <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you have no excuse. I have every excuse. <laughs> I'm not going there. Uh, let's get... Well, what an interesting <laughs> game. It was 1-0 was the final score. The, the goal was scored in the third minute of the game. Uh, it was number mm-hmm. 15 for the Dutch who got on the board. Guess who? Frederique Matler. She just can't stop scoring goals at the moment. After her Euro performance, she was all over the place on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, wow, what, a, what an e- interesting game. I think it was, subbed up, it was summed up by... Um, Alison Annan's halftime press conference. I don't know if she's not press conference. They stopped her as she was going back out on the field. And, you know, uh, you said before the, that she was asked, you said before the game that you, you wanted them to score more, do something more. And she just went, no, they haven't been doing that and, and walked off basically. Is that it? Good. I'm, I'm, uh, I love I, I that. I gotta say, I, yes, her interviews are hilarious. Oh, she can great. be just so, uh, so brusque and just say nope. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not happy. I think. I, I think she misunderstood as well what the interviewer was asking. And yeah. but I think he asked something about pace. Are they bringing the speed that That's you're it, looking pace. for? And, and yeah, pace. And she was ah uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and and it was it was quite funny. And I mean she's she's got such high standards for her team that yeah. uh, clearly that's why they're so successful. Uh, that there is no resting on the laurels there because they didn't look <laughs> anything especially worse than how they've played, you know, recently. Germany is a very good team and, and they're always up to play the Dutch girls. So it's always going to be a very, uh, competitive match. So I, I wasn't surprised to see it as close as it was. Um, but again, there's, there's fatigue factors. Um, you know, Germany had already played, you know, a couple days ago. A lot of their players had played in the mm. uh, European uh, Club Championship as well as 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 did some of the Dutch players. Like th- there's a physical toll uh, coming into this 
I think in this particular segment of the schedule that uh, can't be completely dismissed. So um, that that was playing on it too. It's interesting because of all the games, this is the one that I remember the least about of the 15 games that I watched last week. <laughs> I really don't remember a lot about it, and I guess it just didn't stand out to me. Other than you know Matt Lowe just like boom, yeah, I'll score that goal. Yeah. Um, but it, it just it, it was it was just a typical you know Euro duel. It, you, it's funny you should say that about not necessarily remembering anything out of it. Neither team was bad necessarily. Neither team got away with it or anything like that. The, the Dutch did what the Dutch normally do. The Germans did what they normally do. It's just no one scored any goals. Yep. Yeah, absolutely true. And and maybe that's a, t- a testament. I can't even see the stats, but uh, that that could be a, up to the goalkeeping performances as well. Okay, we're going to move on now uh, to the 26th, which would be uh, the same day as that particular Germany game. The men backed up against the Netherlands. And Mm -hmm. um, this was a game I managed to catch live, which was one of the few across the weekend I did. Most of them I watched on replay, and I thoroughly enjoyed this game. It was a cracker. Uh, one all at the end of the first period, two all at the end of, uh, at, at half time, still two all going into the final quarter, and the Netherlands popping home two in that last quarter to take the game out 4-2, um, and some absolutely ripping goals, it must be said, along the way. Absolutely. And I, I don't know, do you, do you know this song, John? Return of the Mink. Oh my God, return of the mink. This is the return of the mink, okay? So, you know, this guy out with a really serious injury, uh, I believe it was last year, and, you know, he came back into the lineup for uh, the Dutch side, and you could see how much he was struggling. Um, and I, I think this is a real testament to the coaching staff, and for sticking with him and continuing to give him the opportunities on the penalty corners because it takes a long time to get that rhythm back and I think it was all through the Champions Trophy and throughout the World Cup he still was struggling wasn't able to score but bang he's this is it this is the turning point for him and <laughs> I mean this is a bane to everybody else in, uh, in, in men's international hockey because he is now going to be chasing Payat and it's going to be the two of them as the the primary drag flickers on the men's side. Well, he knows how to let them rip, doesn't he? They, they mm-hmm. get, When he gets it right, they go and you're not stopping them. You're, you're probably ending up in the back of the net if you get in the way. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he caught them. It was nice to see. You're talking about a player on the up, a player that didn't have a particularly good game, uh, German Florian Fuchs. Uh, wasn't his day at all. He picked up a yellow card right at the end of the game where an umpiring decision didn't go his way. But for a guy that is a seriously good player and a seriously great touch, his touch completely deserted him all game. Everything he tried, and he tried a lot, he kept going, and that's the mark of a good player when they keep working when things aren't going their way. But nothing he touched went anywhere. It, it was all a rubbish I think you'd call it. Yeah. He'd have to walk yeah. off going, I had a rubbish game. Yeah, and and that's where the frustration, you know, comes in. Obviously, the result was a big part of it, but personally, when a player's yeah. having a tough game, and as an umpire, you've, you've got to be 
you've got to be aware of that. And I'm not saying that it should have been handled any differently because it shouldn't have. It, no. I mean, that, that needed to be addressed the way that it did. But it's, it's for the umpires to understand like, hey, they're, they're not necessarily furious at me. They're mad at the decision and they're super mad at themselves. <laughs> and they've had 60 minutes of not playing up to their own standards. And you just, you're the scapegoat. You're just the person that has to take it. And, you know, and I bet the next time that Fuchs is out there, um, I can't remember who it was that gave him the card, but I'm sure that the next time he's out there, it'll be like, hey, dude, sorry about that one. And, I think it was uh, uh, Eric. Moving on. I think it was Eric Cove. Uh, Eric. Was it Eric Cove? Okay. Uh, See at that end of the field, I can't remember now. Yes, because they had a a, a, a contentious um, just before the the final it was about three minutes before a contentious decision over a, a short corner, where the the player had played it out behind the line. The Dutch guy tipped tip, tipped it out over the back line, and he blew a short corner. And that no, anyway, that's yeah. that's getting away from the point there. And and look, in some ways, it's interesting watching a guy that you know is a tremendous player. Going through the same trials and tribulations you do on a Saturday afternoon, where things don't go right for you, he's a great player, and it just mm-hmm. didn't—it just didn't click on that particular night. Uh, yeah, it did the previous time they played. Uh, yeah, and not sure if I mentioned this earlier, but any chance fatigue may have came into that one as well. Um, just check it. You know, know. <laughs> may very well have. Um, yeah, I, I have heard. Um, Senior Australian players voice the opinion that they could play two games in a day, <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll leave but, that. But one having just come off that a very intense EHL weekend again, uh, and yeah. you know it's it's it, it's one thing to play a couple games in a day; it's another thing a few days later to do it again or to to go out and then to play at that level and and have the emotional energy and. You know, the, any niggles that you've picked up, the soreness, all that yeah. kind of stuff. That's that's when sitting in your body. In the moment, you're okay, but yeah, I I, I would suspect that we're we're at that point in the pro league, right? We're we're halfway through. Not and, quite. Uh, yeah, we're over halfway through. Are we? Oh, yes. I, I was going to bring that up later. Is uh, I don't I don't think that the uh, pro league's halfway over until the end of this month. <laughs> Ah, okay. Well, we can have that. June. Debate, it's but... like there's a there's a cutoff because <laughs> the amount of hockey being played in June at pro league level is just insane. It's also almost like a second half of the season all on its own. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but look, look, if if you go by the number of like the the, yeah. the match numbers, then we're we're definitely halfway through. Yep. And and it's it's the dog days, right? This is. I, I think in every sporting league you have this halfway yep. through the season where you're like, okay, the elation of the beginning of the season's worn off and <laughs> those days are so far behind you but you can't even see the finish line and it just feels like you're slogging away and trying to trying yep. to earn points and trying to keep going and I, I think that's where the teams are right now is they're they're in some dog days and there's you know games that are not going to be played out the way that you expect and there's going to be subpar performances and that sort of thing and then we get to june and things are going to pick up again because the finish line's in sight yeah. and i think also we these coaching staffs and and associations are getting used to the idea of uh playing with a squad rather than a team an extended squad like there's they could have not played fuchs Mm-hmm. They've got a squad yep. of 36, I believe, or 32, uh, somewhere in that region. So there, there, there was nothing demanding that he played that game. 
or was available you know it's not like in Olympics where you got your 16 or whatever you got and unless you're really really injured you're going to have to f- play some sort of part um, and everybody's trying to learn and find out how this whole system works so perhaps that could have been a game they just went mate go home for the weekend it's alright we've got a squad same way soccer teams have to do it with European qualifiers and etc etc but anyway that's just my thoughts let's move on though the next game up was one I think you would have had a, a close look at it was Great Britain versus the United States it was played on the 27th at uh, 2pm at the Lee Valley Hockey and Tennis Centre in London it's a lovely looking venue too just quietly I, I like the look of uh, when games are televised from Lee Valley it looks like a lovely little hockey centre um, well Keely what did you make of this game it, it was uh, it, it was a it was a much better game from GB and uh, like I alluded to earlier I think they had some of their um, who I would consider to be their more promising uh, players back into the lineup and players like Hannah Martin she looked super pacey on the day and uh, Giselle Ansley with her drag flicks so I think there's a, an overall theme from this week, and I think we've reached a turning point with the Pro League now where the teams are starting to go, okay, we've been playing around with all our penalty corner options, and you know that's been fun, but now let's just start banging in those goals. And between Ansley and, and the drag flick that uh, Balston scored um, a week ago, I guess, two weeks yeah. ago, um, they're, they're starting to pick up. So you're starting to see better execution on penalty corners from all the teams that have that available to them. Uh, and for the U.S., again, I, th- I think the thing that really is standing out for me is that they're, they don't have that on their penalty corner. They only have options, and they often go to a straight shot. And I think they're probably one of the only international teams in the world that has a straight hit on a penalty corner, and it never scores. So <laughs> their penalty corners just aren't clicking for them, and, the, and that's just if they're going to get any sniff at um, teams that are higher ranked than them, they're going to have to develop that, and it's, it's just not there yet. Now, I'm a bit surprised Great Britain couldn't get the job done within the full-time period. I must admit, I thought they would have a bit too much up forward. It was a great performance from the uh, US keeper, Kelsey Bing, too, and she made a couple of great saves during the... Uh, the penalty shootout. Oh, hugely. So this is a, yet another great game from Bing. She's yeah. really starting to show herself as being one of the, you know, best promising, you know, young goalkeepers coming up right now. And and uh, I think it was is stymieing for uh, for GB for sure, especially on all the penalty corner opportunities that they had. But but hey, it's uh, <laughs> it, 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 the U.S. is not easy to score on generally because they do work so hard they're physically so yeah. so good at getting in front they've got lots of pace it's not like they put their slow defenders in the back you know they've got <laughs> pace all the way throughout so it's it's not easy and um and you know again gb is trying to find their feet they're they're not scoring you know free play goals right now so it's it's a question of being able to beat a keeper when you got a hot one it's it's going to take it's going to take a lot of opportunities. And across both the men's and women's competition, I don't think you could look at any team and say they're not fit enough. 
or they're not physically up to it. All of the teams are there physically. Oh, you're you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's that that level of professionalism is yeah. is you know across the the top you know at least ten ten ranked teams you know on both sides and 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 goes down a little bit deeper. We should also mention there too, Kelly, that Great Britain won oh, won the bonus point on the shootout two oh, yeah. one, having their little run around at the end there. Um, yeah, uh, and it was very tight. I mean, the USA led. Uh, uh, early, but the Great Britain came back to score with their last two uh, shootouts. What am I supposed yep. to say here? I'll go with shootouts <laughs> uh, yes. to take that two-one. Uh, very unlucky for the United States. I'm sure that you know gaining that bonus point would have meant the world to them. Yeah, it it would have really helped. What was also really interesting about that shootout is that Hesh had been in the game and had yeah. a great game. And then they put Amy Tennant in for the the shootout, and so the the remarks at the beginning, um, you know, the HRW as I like to call her was was on color, saying it must be really hard for a keeper to come off having sat for 60 minutes and been cold, and then to go into the shootout. And you know, she she did look a little bit um, a, a little bit stiff at, at in the first couple of attempts, and then yeah, she had nice. a great shootout. So. Maybe this is something that they're developing. Like, hey, we have our go-to keeper for shootout situations, and and it's it's fun. It was interesting to watch for sure. Now let's move on again. Germany, China. This time, once again, we're back in uh, hockey park at Mutengladbach. That'll do. It was <laughs> it was a midday game locally. It was Germany and China. And uh, probably a result to be expected, 4-1 in the favour of Germany there. Uh, it was one all at the end of the first period. You thought perhaps uh, China have got something brewing here. You saw them brew a couple of times at home earlier in the season, but it was not to be. Uh, Germany scored in the second quarter to take a 2-1 lead into half-time. Stayed that way at uh, three-quarter time before they managed to slot two in the last quarter to win 4-1. This was the only game I didn't get to see, uh, Keely, so mm-hmm. I'm hoping you got a little bit of it. Yeah, I, I did see it, and I, I think it's a little bit unfortunate that the, the scoreline looked as slanted as it did because uh, Peng Yang came through with that early goal where they just broke through on a long ball through the, the German defense, and she had a fantastic finish. It was really nice to see because I think that's the one thing that we've noticed about the Chinese throughout the Pro League is that they get opportunities. They get into the circle. They've got some penetrations, but they just... They, they, they almost like just have brain freezes when they get inside the circle and don't execute the way that you, you know that they probably can. And uh, it was nice to see, boom, <laughs> goal. And uh, and I was, I was hoping for more from them. But um, I, I again, I think there's a bit of a... Um, you know they're getting a little bit down. The Chinese, I think, the the energy level wasn't there the way that I've seen it. And players like Shui, uh, their captain, she really needs to be a driving force. And she was really quiet in that game, and I think that that really affected them. So, um, but again, here we go, Lorenz. She had two drag flick penalty corners, and so I think you're seeing the. The, the, the coaches now going back to, all right, let's just get this down. Let's get our routines going. We've had enough of this 
uh, option play. And yeah, two great strikes from Lorenz. Yeah, they're... Germany, I think, are a bit of a dark horse in this pro league on the women's side of things. Um, they've had some, I, I think, perhaps they might even think in different results. But they've also shown at times they're a very good side. Yeah, I, I think they're just generally just solid throughout in the development of the program. And I know they've they've had some some tumultuous times over the last few years in Germany towards their national programs, and there's been lots of discussion and debate and, and things like that. But you can't dispute the fact that they are they are highly competitive. They're very hockey smart, and uh, again, defensively, they're extremely organized. So. I think it's going to be a tough day when Muller Wieland uh, finally steps aside. She's been, you know, such a talismanic figure for that team for so long. Um, but if any program other than the Dutch can can replace her easily, I think the Germans, you know, have a shot at doing that. So, uh, and Lorenz is one of those players who I think she will she will slide into that role for sure. And the German men backed up the ladies at uh, 2.30pm at Hockey Park when they took on Great Britain in a game that I was really looking forward to A, because it was in a really good time slot for me to watch it live <laughs> and um, B, because I thought it, it could be a real cracking game um, but it wasn't to be in the end I, I didn't feel it was a 1-0 victory to Great Britain they, they scored their lone goal in the 38th minute thanks to number 15 Phil Roper, which is a goal we'll talk about a bit later on in the ga- in, in the program, but um, I, I felt like I'd been transported back to the 70s there for a little while, Keely, as far as entertainment spectacle goes, but as a hockey sort of nuffy, it was a, an extremely intriguing contest. Yeah, I think, um, again, I, we talked about this a, a while back, that the way that I watch games just from mostly an umpiring perspective, and I, I think you had just sort of got me on board for recording mm. the show just earlier, and I'm like, okay, i got to watch these games for analysis now. Um, but as a, as a person who you know grew up playing as a defender... I actually really enjoyed watching the game. I love watching good defense. It's I, I know I'm weird. And those when those attackers are doing their fun, striky things and being all creative, I'm like, woo, that's cool. But boy, that tackle back there, and oh, oh that yes. that interception, and and oh, that structure on the breakout. You know, I, I I get really geeky over those things. So it was there was something in it, I think, for a lot of people. And it, for me, it was a very clean game. Uh, I think the teams were very cautious and that was why it wasn't very exciting but that that made it a very academically clean game to watch so you know you, you got to look for the the glass half full on that one. Oh yeah look uh, I, I we talked about the Great Britain team women's team earlier and about that you know those players of instant world 11 quality and mm-hmm. I, I think the men suffer from that a little bit as well but, I, you know, they've lost Barry Middleton recently, but I look like at a guy like Brendan Creed, and I like the way he goes about it, not just because he threw me an overhead during the warm-up at their Pro League game here when they were in Perth, but um, he, he seems to be the guy that can be that one that stands in the middle of the ground, so to speak, and, and controls it a bit. You, all of the best teams have that Billy Backer he, he type. He reminds me of... 
Yeah, he, and he reminds me of Kate Richardson Walsh in that way. Yeah. How completely solid and dominating yeah. a physical presence that he is. Yeah, that's a really good point. And there was, I, I, I've got, sorry. I, I was going to say, there was one point where a, a ball came, a lifted ball came across in front of the D there that he, he played away. And it was, I, the immediate thought was, you've played cricket. And he looks like one of those English guys that's, played cricket and, and hockey and he's very, very sporty and understands it all and a lot of players would have ducked or, or shimmied away from when that when that ball came up but he actually moved in behind it and, and just swatted away it was a different approach to a, a rising ball than you see very often from a lot of other hockey players and in a very controlled way yep. a lot of players would have panicked and yep. just swung full bore and we've seen it we've mm-hmm. seen it in international games where a ball gets completely batted out of the the circle and everybody's like oh my god that's a hit raised ball yeah. but um but yeah he it was a just a beautiful piece of control for sure but um yeah when it comes to the GB men i've i've got a hot take on that team i i think they're kind of good yeah I, I, I think they're a team that nobody is looking at and really taking very seriously. But they just keep doing what they need to do to win games. And I think they're taking their opposition by a little bit of surprise. I think the Germans went into that game thinking, oh yeah, this isn't going to be an issue. And, you know, sat some of their, you know, some of their players who needed a rest like Fuchs. <laughs> and, um, and, and they were just, and they just weren't able to, to, to step up and, and got lulled out of the game, basically. Yeah, I I look at that. I I think that because I've been a bit of a critic of Great Britain over a period of time, and I think they're they're all very good players. And I think now they've gone from thinking they're very good to understanding they're very good. When you mm-hmm. think you're a good player, you're playing a certain way. When you know you're a good player, there's a difference in the way you go about it. And they're not trying to win the ball, they win the game off their own stick anymore. They're they're far happier to throw it around a lot more freely than they appear that they used to be. Yeah, there's a lot more trust between the players in how they play. And I really noticed it defensively because, to me, that was a defensive masterclass, the way that they handled the German attack. And it was a very trusting... Nobody was going in with big swinging sticks because they knew that their their body was behind them in the right spot, cutting off the next most uh, dangerous lane. And they would be available for the next tackle, and and it was a very, um, it, it was a really nice team, cohesive, trusting performance. I thought so. Yeah, that's that's the step up that they've taken. They know their roles, and hey, maybe this is the Danny Carey magic dust. Like I, I think it's happening. <laughs> Yeah, we're totally pro-league, and uh, normally we could fit an advertisement in here. We could be promoting all sorts of stuff, and today we are going to be promoting FH Umpires, though, because Keely Dunn's with us, and Keely, you have got the ultimate kit for any umpire. <laughs> I do. It's, it's funny because, um, you know, being in the umpiring game for a long time, you get very picky about the stuff that you use and when you find the right cards the right kit bags the right whatever you get very attached to them and then you want to share them with everybody and so this is kind of how that all came about and it all started with the skirt 
I'm obsessed with <laughs> the right umpiring skirt because, boy, have I worn some terrible ones over the years. And so that was the very first thing because everybody kept coming to me and saying, Keely, you got to make a skirt. you got to make a skirt. I'm like, okay, all right, I'll do it. So got that and went on from there. It's, it's, a, it's a really just a, a little hobby part of my project. It's just a few you know, bits and bobs and things like that. But it's fun, and, and I, I like being able to provide tools that I think are really effective for umpires. So where can people find all of these tools? All they have to do is just go to fhumpires.com and, and have a look. It's under the shop tab. Um, right now, I don't have currency conversions, so if you're looking at the prices going, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> uh, they're all in Canadian dollars. So if you're shopping from Europe, it'll be practically free. Um, and just keep in mind, I'm not Amazon, so there is still going to be some shipping involved because it's all coming from Canada. I try to locally source uh, things here because I'm trying to help, you know, support the, uh, you know, our local economy and then share that with the rest of the world. Uh, but yeah, it's it's <laughs> for for a lot of people, it's it's an interesting prospect trying to sell to the world because you're like, is this ridiculously expensive? Is this is this cheap? I don't know. You just kind of have to go off value and and uh, and do your best to, to to provide stuff to umpires of the world as it are. Well, I've got I've been a recipient of one of your little umpiring kit bags that you can clip on, and uh, it's got all the necessary items. And uh, people are very impressed when I pull it out and say, "I'm ready to umpire if you need me to." Absolutely. I, I think the favorite, my favorite part about that bag is that it's waterproof. So I don't know how many times I've, I, I've done a game and I've left my kit on the tech table. And then, of course, the water cannons come out and then my kit bag is soaked. But yeah, no, that is virtually waterproof. So it, it keeps everything nice and dry on the inside. And you got a lovely little whistle there as well. It, absolutely. My f- <laughs> the, the best part about that is that my logo is on the whistle, which means there's a whistle on a whistle. <laughs> so, I, I once had my hockey kit stolen out of the back of the car and deposited in, in the bush across the road. And you know what the one thing they stole was? The whistle. The whistle? The whistle. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> everything else was in the shoes, the shin pads, everything else was in the bag, but they stole the whistle. Safety first. They must have been really worried. <laughs> they what's, wanted to make sure they got home safely. What's that web address again, Keely? It is fhumpires.com. And you can find me on the socials at fhumpires pretty much everywhere. This is Totally Pro League. Thanks for that little bit of an advertisement there, Keely. Threw that in while we were here. Get it that was not awkward at all, either. <laughs> Supernatural. I felt totally fine. <laughs> well, let's have a look now at some of the goal scorers and the, and the tables. Let's start with the women's side of things. Uh, the top goal scorers. Olivia Merry is still at the top. Five field goals, two penalty corners and a penalty stroke for a total of eight. Uh, then we've got Frederick Matlar from the Netherlands, or Olivia, of course, from um, New Zealand. Uh, Frederick from the Netherlands, three field goals, a penalty corner, a penalty stroke for a total of five. Then we've got four players, five, six, seven. We've got several players in third place. We don't have a clear-cut top three in the women yet. 
uh, a whole host, uh, Savannah Fitzpatrick, Hannah Gablack, Alex Gurniers, and um, that will be interesting to see uh, if we can get a, a definitive top three there, as we do with the men. Still Pal Kamada at top, though, with seven goals, six from the field and one penalty corner from Spain. Haven't played uh, in a little while, and he's still up there at the top. Phil Roper from Great Britain added to uh, his list on the weekend. He's now five field goals and a penalty corner for a top of six. And our definitive top three in third place is uh, Matthias Paredes from Argentina. And he scored five field goals. Um, that's the goal scoring. Onto the, the tables, which is a little bit more interesting. Um, on the women's side of things, the results leave us where we were last week. The Netherlands on top, they're travelling at 87.5%. Argentina second at 83%. Belgium third at 72%. <coughs> Australia, I don't know how they do it, but they're managing fourth place, having not really played at all at 63%. Germany uh, are still in fifth place at 52%. New Zealand in sixth at 36%. Great Britain, 33% in seventh place. China at eighth place at 21%. And the United States in ninth place at 14%. Bit of movement on the men's side of things, though. Great Britain have leapfrogged from third to the top of the table uh, they're on 80% Belgium in second position on 80% as well we'll get to that in a second Keely uh, Australia mm-hmm. have slipped down to third position they're on 79% then we have the Netherlands who've jumped a couple of positions on 57% in fourth place Argentina in fifth place down a position at 54% then Germany 38% Spain 29% and New Zealand in eighth position at the bottom on 7% now getting back to that top of the table Great Britain and Belgium uh, they're both on 80%. Uh, Great Britain have played five and won four. Uh, Belgium have played five and won three. They're both on 80%. Their goal difference, though, is Belgium have a goal difference of nine and Great Britain have a goal difference of eight. So I'm trying to figure out exactly how they're rated above Belgium on the table. Mm. I have to assume it's on wins, but... I didn't think that was the qualifying criteria necessarily in that breakdown. Uh, well, since you sprung this on me, I haven't had a chance to go through the FIH Pro League regulations, which is one yeah. of my favorite things to do in this <laughs> time, is to read regulations. Uh, but I would anticipate that's exactly the case, is that you get more, in, in, in the case of a, of a point tie, that the first tiebreaker is the number of wins. Wins, yeah. And then if... If the wins, draws, shootout, and it's probably wins, and then it goes to shootout bonuses and then draws, and then it'll start talking about goal differentials, goals for, maybe, you know, penalty corner goals, <laughs> I don't know. Like the, the tie break procedures can be really extreme, and obviously this whole statistical setup is pretty crazy, but uh, that, that must be the case. Well, they're both, uh, traditionally, I would have thought, they're both on 12 points, and one has a better goal difference than the other. <laughs> that, that that would be the logical way for me to work through how you would rank those particular teams, regardless of the number of wins, because uh, otherwise yeah. it'd just be the table would be on number of wins. <laughs> that's what that's how you would rank it. <laughs> Stop! Get out of here with your common sense, crazy talk. 
Don't get, don't get uh, all confused. I, That's I, not how we work things. Now, we, we, we mentioned before the idea of, of the halfway point of the season. When you look at the calendar, it's so heavily weighted to June that it's, even though we've got past that numerical number of halfway, it's probably fair to say that it, it's, June is, decides the whole competition. It's, uh, it's gonna be that little short three or four, three weeks essentially of that month where all of the games that are going to decide where people end up and that fatigue factor is really going to start to kick in. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I think what's interesting, though, is that when you go on this whole, like pretty soon the percentages aren't going to matter because all of the no. the number of games played will all start to catch up and everybody will be on equal footing. So it'll be a lot more of a, you know, you won't have this Argent, you know, New Zealand and China having played 11 of their games and do the math with me really quickly so if if each team uh, is going to play they play 8 games at home and 8 games away so they've got 16 on the women's side and then there's 2 less on the men's side is that correct? Yeah yep. because of the absence of Pakistan yep. so so yeah I mean we're we are in terms of number of matches played when you look down the list on the women's side the Dutch on 8 uh, Leona's uh, on ten. Belgium's on still on six. You know, we've yeah. barely seen them play. It's it's very interesting. But yeah, I, I mean, obviously, a lot of things are going to be eked out in June. But I think you are also going to see teams that hadn't done enough in the first half. You know, struggling and trying to you know in desperation to make up those games, but not being able to. So. You know, the New Zealand women losing some key matches, I think that's going to keep them out of that top four. I don't expect to see them getting, uh, crawling back up. The interesting interchange is going to be between Belgium, Australia, and Germany, I think, in the three to five slots. Those yeah. are the teams that I'm really watching to see them move and to see what's going to happen. Everybody else, I think, is pretty much where they're going to end up. Um, on the men's side, hey, it's, it's, uh, it's it's pretty crazy. Obviously, there's there's been a few less games played overall because of the lack of Pakistan, and um, yeah, I, I think it's it's more of a case that anything can happen in the top f- four or five, and then it's you know it's settled down. Spain, New Zealand, I don't think we're going to see them, but uh, Germany's got to pick up their socks there. That's that's an interesting spot for them to be in. Yeah, Spain are going to rule a lot of those drawn games, that's for sure, because, you know, one or two goals could have completely changed the, the position and nature of the table. Let's move on, though, to a couple of things, because you are FA umpires, a couple of umpire-related <laughs> bits and pieces. Um, firstly, the Phil Roper goal in the Great Britain-Germany um, game. Uh, look, fantastic opportunity. That, that That's a great field goal from anybody that scores the way he did. He picked it up in open play. There's the top of the D. I'm having a crack. Bang, beat the goalkeeper. Great goal. Was it a goal? Are you convinced after watching what video evidence we have been shown that that was a goal? (laughs) I am utterly convinced. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I can see that the, the angles weren't great, but there was one... Angle. I think it was one of the last ones that the broadcast production showed that we had a side on where you could see. And you got to keep in mind that the the circle line is the entirety of the line. So if the ball yeah. is touching even the back of the circle line, that's in. Okay. 
and so to me yeah it was good and and again we're on that whole transparency issue but the video umpire does have different angles different resolution of course I mean resolution is a massive deal at this level and you know that whole the ball and the stick were super blurry in that picture um, when we were watching it on the replay but it would have would have appeared much uh, more clear I think it was uh, Irene that was in the booth on that one and uh, she would have been able to, to to get a much better look at at whether it was in or out. So, I, I think also there was a distinct lack of protest. You know, if if really there had been that much doubt, you would have heard a lot more from the other side. And there was uh, a, a lot of his teammates coming to congratulate him as well. No, none of mm-hmm. the teammates turned away from that and thought, oh well, that was outside. <laughs> At the same time, we know that players are coached and they should do this. They should celebrate the crap out of every goal. Because <laughs> if you don't have video review, that can help. Because we we do. It, it, we're not consciously looking about saying, okay, this player is going to tell me whether that was a goal or not. No. But we do watch. We try to sense the uh, instinctive reactions of the players. Do they, yeah. you know, is their body language, oh, damn. Oh yay! You know, like, do they change their reactions as their conscious thoughts catch up to their um, to the, to their motions? And so it it does make a difference. It, it it does. But I I felt it was very authentic in in that moment. And they weren't looking back at um, was it Eric at that point? Yeah, I think that was Eric's goal. And uh, they weren't looking back at him to wonder what he was doing because at first. I think Eric had, um, I don't think he made any decision, and then he no. stopped time to do an umpire referral, yep, and then away. he, and then he realized, oh, I need to make a decision that you know can be fallen back upon, if the video evidence isn't uh, clear, if if no advice is possible. So then he made a decision for a goal, I believe, I don't remember now, and then it got reviewed. So. I, I think the umpire was straight onto it though. He didn't, he, he, he immediately thought, oh, well, it was close enough. I can't really tell. Which is yeah. in some ways what the video ref is there for. It's for an umpire. Yeah. Look, that, that's too much for me. And you talked about the idea that they're seeing different vision from us. There was one shot from the side when it was in slow-mo. It was like, well, <laughs> did he hit that from two feet outside the D or did he hit it from two feet inside the D? I can't really tell. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's a really big paradigm shift for any umpire, and especially when you've been you've, you've been umpiring so professionally to, to get to the level where you will have video review available. Yeah. You've, you've really been trained to take definitive decisions that you really have to, you know, you have to get on your choice you have to process quickly. You have to be definitive. You have to sell your decision. And then all of a sudden you've got this option where it's like, well, wait, I don't have to. I I can ask. I can call a friend. And that's a, a real difficult switch to make in your head. So I, I give all credit to the umpires. And, and a lot of them have been doing this really well in the pro league where and, and it shows their experience that oh, most of these umpires have worked with uh, video referral in, in other competitions, that they know when to ask, and they're really good. They're not waiting for the players to get angry at them, and oftentimes there's cases where play, teams have lost the referral, and then it really should be an umpire self-referral. 
and the players are like, would you please take it? Play and but they're not allowed to press pressure you. It's in the regulations. The teams cannot cannot do that. So it's um it it it, it it's a bit of a catch twenty two. If the umpire knows that they should take their self referral, then it avoids that entire appearance that the team is uh, taking undue influence. Well, perhaps it's something the FIA should could, should consider for uh, Olympic qualifiers. The other um, <laughs> umpiring uh, question I had for you, Keely, was um, the five metre rule on the circle. Now, uh, mm-hmm. I'm led to believe that the F that the Pro League is playing under the latest rules edict from. The uh, the FIH, which includes a, a slight change to the the way the five meter rule works, around you are correct the the top of the D and there was an issue and I can't remember which game I should have noted it down at the time because I immediately went that's worth talking about um, and it, <laughs> it, it related to a free hit that was given just outside the D so the players within a meter of the D now um, under the old interpretation the the defender could stand right up at the top of the D to defend that free hit within that zone. But they couldn't tackle the player until they'd gone that five metres, so to speak. Now, that rule's now been changed, whereas that player's no longer allowed to set there. They have to be making an effort to remove themselves from that five metre zone. Is that how you would read it? Um, it, that's pretty close. I think you just want to shift your attention to whether the free hit is taken quickly with a self pass. So if it's taken quickly, it's just like, oh, just go play. Like we're, you know, we're not going to force you to, you've been caught. Just don't step in because we know that that player, if that free hit has been taken within the five meter dotted line, we know they can't go straight in anyway. Yeah. So they're not going to become so shadowing is perfectly fine. But if there's any delay at all, the players have to step back to five meters. And as I argued in my article about when I deconstructed the uh, the rule changes for 2019, I, I said this this is the better way to play as a defender. I'm I'm pretty darn sure of it. And I ran it by uh, our friend of uh, Totally Pro League and TRS, Andrew Wilson, and said, you know, hey, when you're coaching, you know, your Spanish players. Yeah. Uh, w- w- would you tell them that it's a good idea if they have the choice to step up to the circle and then not be able to tackle for five meters? Would you rather them step back and then be able to start to press immediately? And he's like, well, obviously the latter. And I'm like, okay, good. That's that's the deal. So, yeah, there were a couple times. And I did notice it actually uh, at the uh, Hockey Series Finals in Kuala Lumpur that some of the teams are struggling to understand that as well. So the other side of it is um and and this doesn't come down to the rule change I believe that this situation would be either way the rules interpreted is that um if if you're outside of that 5 meter zone and the player takes off you're free to enter that 5 meter zone to to tackle them aren't you? Absolutely. Okay, so what I think we saw on the weekend was a or whichever game it happened to be was a, a that player taking off, going two metres or three metres, and then being tackled by a player that had come from outside of the zone. But that player had actually been... When the when the initial player with the ball had taken off, the, the player coming in to make the tackle was running full pelt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he was... Absolutely. He, yeah, he was, he was actually quite a long way outside of that five-metre zone when the bloke took off. But when you're running full pelt, five metres is two steps. 
Um, exactly, exactly. And that's why it's so beneficial to yeah. not hang out at the top of the circle. Yeah. Like take those two steps back and then, you know, it's 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 full press. It's it's game on. And because players are the, the ball carrier is going to be so concerned about dribbling 5 meters before they enter the circle, they're really heads down a lot more than they are in more open play situations. So you have the ability to, they've got their head down, they're not going to see you coming. Your ability to close is going to be a lot, you know, a lot more powerful. So, yeah, it's, I, I don't think it's going to take too long for the players to cotton on to this and to really start to see the advantages of it. But what the ball carriers aren't seeing is uh, all of a sudden they're getting tackled after they've only gone two meters and they're going, hey, that's, that's not five. And it's like, well, they didn't have to be. You're listening to Totally Pro League. My name's John Lee, and I'm here with Keely Dunn from FH Umpires. Go to fhumpires.com. I hope that's it, Keely. Buy your umpiring kit. That is it. Make sure you've got the blue card, especially. That's a very important card, the blue card. <laughs> that's my business card. <laughs> that's my business card. So that's that's why I was so appalled when Belgium came out with that blue card initiative. So I'm like, no, that's not what it's for. It's my joke. Don't take that away from me. Now, <sighs> Keely, it's time for us to reach to the Beatles calendar. And uh, have a look at the month of posing for a portrait 1967, which is May, to the rest of the world. And we start off on Friday with a Great Britain taking on China at home. It's a, a 19.30 game, so 7.30pm game, that getting underway. Uh, you got a whoa, tip whoa, there? Whoa, 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 John, John, yep. you've missed Germany playing USA <gasps> tomorrow. Oh, sorry, <gasps> I, I have too. Yeah. I've, gone a, I've gone a month ahead. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's this go. This is why to I'm talking about fatigue with the with the German women is that they've got yet another game. You fatigue know. with me. Um, <laughs> yeah. We'll go through that game. Who do you tip? Oh well, obviously I tip Germany. Um, I don't <laughs> think they're going to have any issue at all. I bet they'll rest some people, and I don't think there'll be many people watching. That's my bold prediction. Oh, that's really... Uh, are you talking live? <laughs> I'm, I'm talking live. I don't think there'll be many... Well, yeah, either way, but I, I think that, uh, yeah, I don't think a lot of the hometown fans are going to turn out to watch uh, the Dennis uh, slaughter the Americans, unfortunately. No, I, yeah, you get the feeling that America are just... Uh, the U.S. are like a game away from getting really embarrassed. I mean, they've had a couple of yeah. results they wouldn't be happy about, but, you know, when you're playing the Netherlands, you get that. Um, but perhaps against lower-ranked teams? Anyway. Yeah, if they have a goalkeeper with an off day, it's not going to be pretty. Yeah. Um, which leads us on to Great Britain versus China. And Yes. Yeah, as much as I like the Chinese goalkeepers, they're now on a hard part of their... Uh, of their little pro league tour and this game is either going to be really tight or a real big blowout in Great Britain's favour. Yeah, that's uh I don't know which way to go with that, but I, I I'm gonna go with a strong win for G B because I think again, they're at home, they've got um you know, they're putting their stronger players out at home. They're starting to click on their penalty corners. 
And yeah, I think China's getting really tired. They've been away from home for a while, and that's really hard on those players in particular. It's a massive culture change. They're moving around from country to country, and it's I, I'm sure they're getting quite quite exhausted just being on the road this much. So yeah, I'd tip GB big time. Let's move on to Saturday the 4th, and uh, the early game there, I think I've got this right, is... GB men taking on Spain. That's a midday game. So that'll be a nice, uh, good Saturday evening, 7pm time slot for me. Um, followed by Australia taking on Argentina in Argentina. That's uh, a 4pm game local time in Argentina. And then uh, the, the women are in action from um, 18, 6pm Argentina time, Australia versus Argentina. And uh, big games for both of the Australians and the Argentinians, the men and the women's side of things. Great Britain and Spain. Now, that could be a very interesting game. It could be very interesting or it could, again, be very boring. It it all depends on how the Spanish come out, right? And mm. when, they, when they came to Belgium and you could see they were trying to play slowly because they were like, we're just going to try to contain the Belgian attack as long as we can. That did not go well for them at all. They got absolutely rolled. So um, if not against GB, I think that'll be a big mistake. They need to get on the front foot and really press it in the attacking end. And, I mean, that's what we want to see from them anyway because they're not a great defensive team, let's face it. You know, If they didn't have yeah. Cortez, it would be a nightmare. Um, but they're super fun to watch when they're they're flowing forward. So, you know, when you get Gonzalez and uh, Kamada and them all connecting, it's just it's glorious to watch. And, and Leonard. So, um, who knows? It's going to be a crapshoot. But it's all up to the Spanish, I think. Well, their last game was extraordinary. Um, I think the Spanish were up four four goals to nil at one stage, or four goals one and. <laughs> You know, it was an incredible game. Great Britain came back in that one and uh, stole the win, must be said. Yep. Um, for the Australian women, that's a really important game against Argentina. Whether Argentina win or lose, I still think they'll roll along and they'll be there come finals time. But for the Australian women, it's a it's a crucial game. And it's almost converse for the uh, Argentinian men when they take on the Australians. Yeah. I, I think what we're seeing now is uh, that the um, Leones, they're, they're, I, I think they're, they're facing up to um, their life without payout, and it's, it's not a pretty picture for them. Um, they're doing just okay. They're doing just okay, but I think a lot, they're not really threatening as much anymore, so it's, uh, I think Australia's not going to have much of an issue in that game. And that... Um rounds up the weekend's action coming up um, then it's actually quite a sparse month when you consider the May head ahead in June uh, we've got games coming up between the USA and Australia and Argentina from 10th and 12th and then a, a couple more games spotted throughout the month and you can imagine Keely that all of the teams are going to be amping up for that uh, really hectic final month that's coming yeah, I I have no idea how this is going to affect uh, the teams because I think a lot I think most teams are pretty healthy at this moment, so I don't think they're you know other than you know the injuries that uh, the Argentinian uh, women have, had picked up, which I don't know what the status is of uh, um, 
say Delfina Marino is, for example, uh, I think I think they're they're doing pretty well. So I don't know if this is going to be a momentum breaker or it's going to be a, a good rest and you're going to see the teams come back. But I think we're really limping into May <laughs> here with the with the schedule and it's it's going to be nice. I think for the whole hockey community, I don't know about everybody else, but I'm exhausted trying to keep up with all the games. And it's <laughs> like this week was 15 games between this and the, and the hockey series finals. And there's tons of the hockey series finals coming up over that stretch. It's just, yeah, it's, it, it, we do need a bit of a break, but it is weird. And I think you're going to lose a little bit of momentum with uh, people paying attention. I certainly think that there's, it's lost a lot of momentum here in Australia. Uh, with us being out of action for so long and then all of the games from now on being played overseas. Um, that's going to make it difficult for Hockey Australia to sort of generate a lot of interest, even within the hockey community, let alone outside of it, uh, which yeah. is a real pity. But, you know, it's beta version of the Pro League. Um, it's something that they can look look at in the future, perhaps trying to spread those... Um, fixtures out a bit more to make it feel like a home and away league uh, you know one week you're away one week you're at home I know how difficult it is and the dollars are tight but it's you know something they've got to look at working towards I would say well and and what's happening next year is that it's going to be a home league and then it's going to be an away league in 2020 and it's so they're 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 cutting down the amount of travel which is a wise move for economic yeah. reasons obviously but they're again they're moving away from you know this extreme home and away format and they're moving closer and closer and closer back to like a champions trophy tournament which (laughs) is a great tournament and everybody loves it and boy they sure were getting that right good thing they cut it and they put in the pro league instead you know the, the idea of having top level competition on a regular basis is absolutely a great one that you need to fill with club competition because it's local and it will keep everybody engaged and interested. There's matches that people can go to see and that's why club competition fills that role so well. And then the international events should be special, apart, a concentrated period of time, like a festival that you're just, you're all in and people travel to it and they make a holiday of it and it, you know, it's, it's, it, it just works. It just makes so much more sense. We might leave that to uh, the reverse stick. That's where we get into that sort of stuff, Keely. We're trying to oh, be nice sorry. here to the Pro League. <laughs> which is... My bad. My bad. A critical <laughs> analysis. Whatever you might want to say about the Pro League, look, I've, I've been publicly disparaging about the idea of it at different stages for different reasons, but the hockey's been bloody great. It's been fantastic. <laughs> I had no doubt whatsoever it was going to be fantastic because the one thing that we do know that no matter what, the players come to play yeah. and they are putting on because they're so passionate about this game that they're not getting paid nearly enough money to be putting in this effort for. Not so I knew that wasn't going to be a problem. It's everything else. It's the technical issues. It's, you know. A lot going on, <sighs> yeah, isn't there? All the- Look, Keely, thanks for joining us once again on Totally Pro League. We've gone way, 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 way over time. Um, look forward to speaking to you again soon. And, uh, you know, big finals month's coming up, so I'm going to have to get you on because I know that you'll have been across all of the games. 
<laughs> I am the one person you can count on for that. <laughs> I am absolutely watching all the games. <laughs> uh, look, great having you, Keely, and look forward to catching you up again soon. Cheers. Thanks a lot, John. <laughs>